welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Mike Cassie from Grey Ridge Games. His debut title, Weirdwood Manor, a magical co-op board game, is currently on Kickstarter. Mike, welcome to the binge. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, James. Great to be here. It's great to have you. So first and foremost, Elf in the Room, you're Canadian. <laughs> That's I am Canadian, yes. Yes. Two Canucks just having a chat in the afternoon, eh? <laughs> I'm I'm on I'm on the better side of the country, but yes, I am Canadian. Oh, that's debatable. Actually, no, Vancouver. You're in Vancouver, right? Near Vancouver, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it, that's God's country, I think. It is absolutely beautiful out there. I'm in the center of the country. Lots of uh great cottage area here, but we don't have the benefit of the of the ocean beside us. So that nice ocean breeze is something I'm sure it's uh it's great to uh to be within a stone's throw of for sure. Yeah. It definitely so, is. Yeah, sorry, go on. No, it's okay. So you're. Uh, I was reading your bio that um, that you're an architect by trade. Uh, originally, I was an architect. Yeah, that's what I went to school for. Originally, I worked as an architect, um, and then basically slowly evolved onto other careers. So in architecture, I was a visual artist uh, and a, like a painter exhibiting, mm-hmm. and then I was a digital product designer for a lot of years after that. So I've kind of worn a lot of different hats, but all kind of generally under the guise of of design and, and creation. So was the architect, was that like your classical, tr- like, is that what you went to school for? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a degree uh, in architecture and that's, uh, I worked as an architect for several years. Like what kind of things were you designing? Like literally like houses and things like that? Or like- uh, I worked at different firms. So some residential work at one point, um, worked on a rather well-known building in Vancouver um, called the Kingswood years ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and other things. So a, a variety of different things over the years. Yeah. Wow. And then, uh, and then obviously with the, the digital creative side and, and, and all these kind of gigs, I'm sure that's helped you with your creative juices. I'm sure in, uh, your overall storytelling and even just kind of your approach to how things look, I guess that you're working on as well. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I would say everything in my past career has really contributed to what I'm doing now in terms of board games. You know, yeah. funny when people talk about architecture, I mean, architecture has obviously a, a physical component to it. You're building actual buildings and there are a lot of great parallels for doing that uh, and say designing and bringing board games to into the world and manufacturing those. So a lot of stuff in my past has really helped inform what I'm doing now. Yeah. It's it, building stuff is cool. Uh, I don't, I don't think yeah. there's any other way to look at it other than that. Right. And that's whether you're a kid with Lego blocks and, and you're, you're, you're building things there, or if you're playing Minecraft, right. Which, uh, tons of people sure. do, uh, you know, just this ability to kind of build stuff is so fulfilling. And, uh, you know, I, I think even if you're no longer designing, you know, buildings and residential things like that now, more on the digital side, you're still building, right? You're, you're building images, you're, you're building arts, you're, you're, you're building, um, in this case, board games and things like that. It's, it's incredibly fulfilling. I find, uh, in this industry as a whole. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that for me, you know, rarely feels like work. Uh, you know, when you're creating yeah. things, it, it, it just is all consuming, it, you know, a little bit in that idea of childlike play and, and, you know, go back to our, our childhood you know, Lego you talked about, or I used to love playing like with little toy cars and creating worlds and parking the car. I mean, it's still kind of an extension of that, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, it's a wonderful way to kind of quote unquote, make a living. 
Yeah, no kidding. I guess it starts off with like the cushions, right? Taking the couch cushions and turn that into forts and things like that. <laughs> it on does. A, oh yeah, that's on a right. Sunday yes. afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pull out the car collection, spend spend the afternoon playing with it. Then it all goes back later. So yeah, absolutely. So Gray uh, Gray Ridge Games. This is a newer company. It's and this is we're going to talk about your game in a second. It's kind of your first kind of you know uh, approach to this industry. Uh, where did Gray Ridge Games come from? And like uh, like who are you guys as a company? So, I mean, first-time publisher, we're, we're a small company right now, but it was kind of born out of um, another company and some fellows who created a universe called Weirdwood, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah. Um, and they were interested in making a tabletop game in this universe. And I, I met uh, one of the co-creators of the universe, and we got to talking one day um, at a digital meetup, not related to board games. Uh, and, you know, you, you do that thing where you're like, hey, what do you do for a living? And I said, you know, my name is Mike Cassie. I, I'm a digital product designer, but I really want to make board games. And I thought, you know, this person I was talking to was going to kind of laugh. And instead he said, hey, I've got this company. We want to make a tabletop game. Are you interested? And out of that grew this idea of launching Grey Ridge and making our first board game. What made you want to create board games? Like, have you been in the hobby industry kind of as a player for some time or like kind of where'd that start? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've been playing tabletop games, like I think quite seriously and passionately since about 2009. So quite yeah. a quite a long time, relatively speaking. Um, and a, around 2015 or so, I started to basically just do hobbyist design. I started to design board games primarily for myself, family and friends mm-hmm. and really enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, and it was kind of, again, in that vein of creating things. I was working as a digital product designer and I kind of wanted to do something that was even a little more fun. I, you know, I'm a big gamer, not only tabletop games, but video games. And so I started to do hobbyist design. And as I started to do that, I just fell in love with doing it. I loved designing board games. I felt like it was a, I had an affinity for it. It felt very yeah. natural and relatively easy to do. So that's really where it started. And, you know, funnily enough, before Grey Ridge came to be, you know, I was very close to saying, hey, I'm going to stop my current career uh, that I've been doing and just I'm going to go do this on my own. I'm going to start a company and do my first board game. And then I again, I met uh, a fellow by the name of Paul Pattison, who's one of the co-creators of, of Weirdwood, yeah. of the universe. So, yeah, well, that's a that's a significant jump, right? Instead of doing kind of the side <laughs> hustle and kind of having it eventually it grow to take over. It's like, no, I'm just going to stop what I'm doing now. Yes. I'm going to start yeah. doing that. Wow. Yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit of conver- a bit of an interesting couple of conversations with the wife at first. When I first said, "Hey, honey, I've got this idea," <laughs> she was like, "What?" But, had you uh, made had you made like titles? Did you have anything that you had taken far enough, like in terms of even like print and play or with um, like Game Crafter, like like physical samples? Had you made? Yeah, any- yeah, yeah. No, nothing on Game Crafter or print and play. But I made some games. I've got actually one on Board Game Geek, so it's actually on there called uh, Amazon Peril, I think. Okay, which I think I put up there in 2016 or 2017 and that was a game that i had you know i had a fairly high fidelity prototype and it used to kind of make the rounds amongst friends and we'd play it i even took it to a couple conferences you know to show it to people and had people Mm -hmm. play it so yeah i definitely had gotten games to a point where like people enjoyed them sitting down to play them i just had never published a game and how did you make those high fidelity prototypes? Like, like if you're not using GameCrafter or any, any of those guys, is- um, it's a good question. So, I mean, actually going back to the architecture, one of the things at least I learned when I was getting trained as an architect, I think it's still the case, is you learn to make models. You you learn to use physical mm-hmm. materials to make high fidelity models of designs, and and you you get used to doing that. So, you know, because of that, because I had a background in graphic design and digital design, it was really easy for me to basically create whatever I needed it to be and make it look really good. Um, 
and I did for a while, one of those games, I was actually living in France and I used a, a German company, kind of like a game crafter company mm-hmm. to help fill in some of those gaps. Um, but yeah, a lot of the stuff I just, you know, give me, you know, glue, scissors, a printer and a computer, and I can make pretty much everything I need to. I'm always shocked by it. Well, I guess not shocked anymore. Um, when I go to local pro spiels and I see like the prototype nights and the prototypes that are made by hand, or you'll see something where it's, it, it's like the quality is so good. And, yeah. and uh, Joe Slack is a good example of this. He's, he's one of the other hosts of this podcast. He's got this Mayan, I think it's Mayan's curse or Mayan's run, something like that. And it is, it's the kind of game that you couldn't make on game crafter. The only way to make a yeah. game like that would be to like getting a scalpel out and, uh, and, you know, printing it and, and doing it kind of the, the old fashioned way. But it looks amazing. Like when you see it on the table, you're like, whoa, you know, what is yeah. that? So, well, well, I mean, sorry, people making those, like the, you, yeah. you're coming to that with that passion, that, that eye for yeah. detail. You want to make this really great thing. So I think, you know, when you see prototypes, like in the game world, they're cool. They, they, there's a bit of character and uniqueness yeah. to them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love prototyping. I love that process is, is probably one of the funnest processes for me personally. I'm not as talented. So uh, like I'm not an architect <laughs> or like this. So usually what I'll do is I'll use like a game crafter or print and play to get um, some basic stuff done. For me, I find when I'm often when I get to mechanically, I've got the game down, uh, but maybe we're still going to do some massaging and so forth. At that point, I will go and get uh, a prototype made and uh, right. usually through Game Crafter, one of these guys, because I find that getting to the next level, which is having, you know, if I go to a public outing or a public game night, a meetup and so forth, and you want people to try the game, it's so much easier when it looks like a game, right? Yeah. And yes. uh, there's nothing wrong with kind of the scissors and paper and glue and all that kind of stuff. But there's something to be said about, you know, enticing people in with with visuals. So that's usually where I'll start going there. Um, but uh, certainly if you got the skills like you do, you can get there much, much faster, right? Yeah. I, I mean, and I, and sometimes I don't have all the skills. Like on on our current game, there's some unique components that were very difficult to prototype. Yeah. And I was able to do a lot of that. And eventually, you know, some of that work on that, uh, where I live, there's a, a fellow who has like a, it's not technically a CNC machine, but it's, you know, a machine that can kind of cut things out of flat material. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to him and say, hey, can you cut out these really funky pieces and that I need done to kind of take this to the next step in terms of what you're talking about yeah. making a prototype now that's much more playable, you know, looks more like a game to, you know, taking that next step. So, you know, I find you're always looking for somebody to help you along that path yeah. at some point. No one's got all the answers, right? Uh, none of us are as smart as all of us as I used to have a boss <laughs> that, always say that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So talk to me about where would this, this universe. So I, I didn't know much about this, this universe. Can you talk to us about this universe and kind of what, what it's all about? Yeah, so Weirdwood originally was created in 2015. Again, Paul Patterson and a couple other guys that he works with created this universe. And originally, they published an iOS app set in this universe, okay. uh, which is still in the App Store. Uh, I think it it got some really good awards. Like I think it was like Apple's app of the year when it came out. And that app was kind of this interactive storybook kind of app with puzzles and games, kind of aimed more at kids. And the world is, you know, originally was aimed more at kids. It's this kind of world where like the we call it the Fae, which is like the magical world kind of intersects with like our real world and they kind of collide and you get all these kind of events happening as things kind of go back and forth between the real world and the Fae world. Um, so there's a lot of magic. There's a lot of adventure. You know, some people will say, you know, it's a little bit like Harry Potter. I mean, that's a comparison. Okay. Obviously, that gets made a lot and it's not that's entirely fair. unfair, but 
you know, there's a lot of things in our universe that are quite unique and quite unusual. So it started originally in 2015. It was an app. Eventually, like uh, the company uh, published a trilogy of books in the world, which was kind of mm-hmm. aimed at like, you know, teens and stuff. And so as the world kind of grew and we were like making these things, apps, books, and the, as the characters in it grew and we had more stuff, it's, we were just like, people seem to really dig it. And we were like, we should keep making other things. And so, you know, a tabletop game was one of those things we talked about and like, hey, this would be really great as a board game as well. Um, and it's really cool because a lot of the lore in the world that pre-existed my involvement on the board game project really did inform ultimately what the game was and some of the mechanics in the game and how it worked. So uh, it was it was really nice to work off of an IP that I had full access to, no yeah. restrictions. I could talk to the people who created it. It was a really nice process. Oh, that's good. Cool. And there's like graphic novels and things like that as well, is there? Yeah, I know. There's like the like middle grade uh, like novel novels, like you know, oh, like wow. just just words. So the three of those and the app, and we've got another uh, app coming out later this fall in the world that continues to tell more stories in the world. So um, we just feel like it's this really interesting deep world, and we're just continually kind of mining it to tell more and more really cool stories. Is there a plan to push that IP out into? The, potentially I, animation yes there are plans i'm i, I, I like that, yeah yes we we are kind of looking at other mediums like animation you know film and, and whatnot yeah, so that that's works. all very preliminary yes but those are those are areas that we are actually are actively engaged yeah. in pursuing yeah absolutely it's good when you said like um you know people say oh it's, it's got a bit of a harry potter vibe to it guess what wizards and sorcerers existed sure. before jk rowling <laughs> right that's right yeah right so like she wasn't the first one guys right so uh you know everything i find is not necessarily derivative but certainly built on what's come before even in the board game industry i find this right yeah if you look at any board game out there there's gonna be a mechanic in that game that came before you came up with the idea right yeah everyone's always like what, what's your what what game is your game like i mean right how often yeah. do you hear that kind of question yeah I always say it's funny. I got a buddy who's played, he's, I think his library is something like, I think he's had like 2,500 games or something like that. Like he, it, wow. he's got a lot of games and he's played a lot of games and he runs our meetup. And anytime I bring a prototype out, he'll quickly say, okay, this reminds me of this game, this game. <laughs> right. And he'll name like five games, like right off the hop where the different mechanics come from. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is something novel, right? It's like, oh, okay, maybe right. maybe there's other stuff out there like this, right? So it's when I think you build a theme on top of it and you layer on the different types of combinations and permutations of these mechanics that you, is where the uniqueness comes out, right? So, um, and the one thing I thought saw in your game, we're getting into this game now, is is this, this kind of wheel in the center that turns and uh, allows your character to kind of skip forward and then go from room to room, but can block movement between rooms, which I thought was like super cool. Uh, I'm going to show it on screen here for people. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about the game itself. Um, how did you guys um, first decide to approach, um, you know, the story elements and then put it into like kind of a game system? Like is the manner right. part of the initial IP or was the manner yes. kind of added on? Yeah, no. the The manner is as the real is is the central focus of the original IP, and you know, in some of the original kind of stories and lore, there was this idea that this this manner, because it sits at like the intersection of the Fey world and the real, it's this really magical, interesting kind of ever shifting, changing kind of place. And in the stories, characters would often like when traveling from one, from one room in the manner to another they'd end up in a different place kind of based on how long it took them to move or kind of the time they were kind of making that journey. So that was the impetus for saying, how, how can we translate that 
into the board game. You know, that was something that I kind of locked onto right away. It's like, that's a really cool idea. What would that look like if it was like just a, a tabletop experience? And what got born out of that was this idea of having this board that represents the manor. And then you've got these two kind of uh, rings on the board that basically rotate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not to get too much in the weeds on it, but essentially when you play the game, every action in the game takes some amount of time in the game. And every time you have to track that time, it means turning the inner ring, which kind of marks mm. the time of day, like morning, afternoon, evening, and night. And when that inner ring goes 360 degree, 60 degrees around, the outer ring now turns to like the next day. So there's like 12 days in total in the game world to win. And so, you know, these rings are tracking times it moves. But what's really cool is as the rings rotate, they open and close access to the different rooms that the players and the enemies are like trying to move around in the board. So it becomes this, um, what I mean, what I think is this really interesting sort of puzzle where you're constantly trying to evaluate what time of the day do I take this action? And if I do that, where can I go? What room can I get to? Can I get to the baddie in this room? Or, you know, so it's, it's, it's this constant kind of evaluation of those different parameters. How hard was it to get the, um, the mechanics of those rings to work? Like, uh, given you're an architect, pretty, I'm sure it wasn't hard, but maybe he have for no, it was it was actually it was ridiculously difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, difficult on two fronts. I, I just on, on the physical side of making a game that has this this the main board, it's like a dual layered board, yeah. all the rooms and all the corridors all f- fit into that, and they all have to slide and shift around. So just to get that manufactured and worked out so that it well was all smooth and worked was difficult. Yeah. But then, you know, there's some mechanics in the game, some underlying mechanics about like there's these little uh, evil minions called scarabs who invade the manor and they infest it and they spread throughout the manor during the course of the game and they move around. And I had to figure out what, what the general mechanic was about how to move those through the manor. And they all kind of come in the center of the manor and they sort of spread out to the outer rooms during the course of the game. And I had to figure out what the math was about as the rings rotate um, how those guys are going to spread out to so that the distribution of them was um, from game to game was overall roughly similar, but still had enough variety from game to game that you could never count on where they might be. Uh, and mm. that was, um, I mean, honestly, James, I spent dozens of in early play tests just on figuring out the math of those mechanics. So it was, oh, yeah. it was a lot of work. Yeah. It's incredibly complex. I know some some designers are now using like Python and other programs to help, right. you know, do the math for them. But, you know, often it's it's playing, right? Just playing and playing and playing and playing and then tweaking and playing and, and, and seeing. And sometimes you'll make a tweak where you think it's going to fix one problem and then it throws right. a balance out of something else, right? And it's kind of getting that to work. And I can empathize with trying to get just the physical board to work. We're working on these... Uh, quad layer boards for uh, cities of venus that's up and coming and just we knew what we wanted right so you have in your right. head this is what i want to do i know what i want to do and i'm talking to the manufacturer and they're like well just send us the die lines yes, and i'm thinking yeah. i was hoping they're going to help me with the die lines right so we're literally creating the die lines get these things to work and often it's through trial and error to 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 get them to work just right and things yeah. will come up like even paper drying right so we had our reviewer copies and we had like 100 reviewer copies made so these were actually manufacturing samples but because they're being rushed because we lost time with chinese new year because we always seem to plan it wrong and (laughs) uh we're trying to rush these samples out and they the paper didn't fully dry before they glued these boards 
Right. So when they arrived, they had some slight warping right, to get them. The... Yeah, but the, and because there are four layers, there's a little bit of paneling where some of these cards had to slide in. So you have to use a credit card to kind of almost like prime the slot, so to speak. And there's still some slight warping there where it's like, okay, now knowing that, we're obviously going to fix it so that the that warping is lessened. You can't, it's impossible to avoid with paper warping in general, because even how yeah. somebody stores that game is going to cause warping. So we're looking at some of these slots and some of the holes. It's like, okay, we gotta we're gonna have to retweak those in design to account for if they do warp, the cards still being able to fit in, right? So right. these are like things that you wouldn't even imagine is gonna consume an immense amount of time and it ends up sucking up all your time, right? Yeah, and, and it's just one component of the game. Yeah. You've got all these other things that you still have to figure out that have to then, you know, fit in with that and still all work together. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's in general terms, it's always a tremendous amount of work. And it certainly was on this particular game yeah. in large part because of the uni uniqueness of the board and the mechanics around it. Um, but I mean, it's it's been worth all the effort. I mean, you know, I mean, so far people seem to be really enjoying the game and, um, you know, all that effort is, is, is essentially now is paid off. Um, it, it's a super cool theme. I mean, and so this is a co-op. I'm just going to say that again. In case it is. Catch that in the, in the intro. So it's one to five players, which is awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, approaching uh, co-op a little bit differently? Because you guys actually make a mention of that on your page, how you say this is like kind of a different take on uh, on cooperating. What do you mean by that? Well, I, you know, I think there's... Um, also, I'll say, you know, I own a number of cooperative games and I play tons of them. Yeah. It's not my favorite genre. I'm, I'm tend traditionally been someone who loves a really like tight Euro, a competitive game. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, you often hear people say, oh, I don't like co-ops because there's quarterbacking or I don't get to, I, I feel like I'm not doing my own thing. I'm just kind of going through the motions or, you know, different things like that. And so I think when I approached the design of this game, I was like, you know, can we make a co-op where it really does function as a co-op. Like the players are going to have to coordinate and work together if they want to win, but that it's still, there's enough room in there that when I play the game, I sort of feel like I'm playing my own game at the same time. Yeah. I'm doing my own thing. Um, and that was really kind of where we tried to get to with this game. And I'll say, you know, it's not a comparable game at all in terms of weight and time, but Mage Knight's a game that I've always really liked in mm -hmm. co-op mode. It's always a game that's felt like you got to really work together. It's a hard game to beat. But you're also doing your own thing. Your character is getting better. You're trying to figure out where to, how to, you know, how, how to beat the baddies. And so when I designed this game, I was like, you know, let's see if we can introduce some of those elements. So you know, there's every person has their own character that they play. Each of the characters have asymmetric abilities, so they play differently. Yeah. And there's this sort of I like to refer to it as a light, a very light RPG-ish kind of vibe in that mm. you are slowly improving your character. You're getting experience points for doing things. You're you're trying to get better. You're, you know, you're managing resources to help in that process as well. So, you know, the game probably has a little bit of a Euro feel as well. Like I think players coming to this game thinking that it's just going to be like a, a dice chucking, easy to play co-op will be surprised by the fact that it does require a little more Euro-like strategy and thinking, you know, and tactics yeah. to kind of get through it. So that's kind of what we were trying to do. It was a bit of trying to mush together a traditional co-op with some elements from like a competitive sort of single quote unquote single player kind of experience. Yeah. The often the, the complaint people have with co-ops is kind of the puppet master syndrome, right? Where you have one person sure dominates and is like, okay, well I'm just playing that person's game and we're all their little minions. Right. So right. anytime you can introduce something where you're playing your own game and, and you're, you're, you're working towards a, a common goal, 
but one person isn't kind of dictating to everybody what you need to do to win. That's always a better, better, more fun experience, right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I sometimes use the comparison of uh, like like Spirit Island. I think, you know, a lot of people love that game. I think one of the reasons it's successful is it's a it's a harder game to quarterback because like there's a lot going on for each player yeah. and each each character is different. Our game has a little bit of that. You know, it's I don't think it's not as heavy a game I think as Spirit Island, but um, it's also you know that puzzle I talked about how these corridors rotate during the course of the game. Mm-hmm. Like every turn, the state of the board changes, and so that also just inherently makes it a little more difficult for someone to sit there and go, "Oh yeah, on your turn do this, and then you're going to do that in your turn." And then I mean, because it, there's this constant sort of reassessing of the state of the board and what should we do now kind of approach to it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the, the playtime is it looks like an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, we're saying yeah, 90 to 100, 120 minutes is typical playtime. Yeah. Nice. Um, in terms of the funding, I, and I just want to point this out too. So if people are listening or watching on the um live or on the replay, um, I mean, you guys have some significant funding behind your your belt so far here. <laughs> like you're at two hundred and eighty-one thousand dollars on a goal of twenty-five thousand. So I forgot to at the beginning just to congratulate you on that because that is amazing thank you thank <laughs> for your you. first title that is amazing <laughs> yeah. so congrats you still got 15 days to go so i mean that number is going to continue to climb this is a is a really big title for your for for your first go was this kind of what you guys thought would happen was there any surprises here it's a great question so you know i mean we certainly feel like we were aiming big we really i mean and i'm sure every publisher it's the same thing you want to make the absolute best game you can make you want as many people to buy it and be able to enjoy it as possible so that was certainly our attitude but i would say you know the reception of the game on kickstarter has exceeded our our expectations i mean we're i mean i'll just say personally james i feel pretty humbled by that dollar figure and the number of people kind of shown like trust and faith in us by putting their dollars behind the game i mean it's it's a very um, rewarding experience. I mean, it, it really, I, I, it's hard to put into words how much it means to me personally to see that happen. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we've gotten, we, we, we've gotten some other great attention. Like we got on the hotness list in, on BGG for a while. Oh, nice. I never, I never thought that would happen. You know, I mean, so yeah, there's been some really wonderful things and um, it's super exciting. I mean, for me personally, I'm just like, uh, every day I come to this feeling like supercharged about it, like super keen, passionate. It, I mean, it's just awesome. Yeah, it's absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's quite a shift um, going from being a game player yes, to making uh, your own prototypes and your own games that you're playing with like friends and family. And when you have that first prototype, that's a cool feeling that you have your very first prototype and it's a game that you've created that actually works, right? But then when you get to this point where you have, you know, it looks like you're going to have north of probably 3,500 people and they're going to own this game. Um, and knowing that world, there's people around the world playing something you've created, uh, man, that just takes the feeling to a whole nother level. And, you know, I can appreciate what you're saying, right? That it it, it's, it's, it is humbling. It's, it's, I hate to say an emotional thing, but it, it kind of hits you, right? It hits yeah, you in the chest. It, it's like, whoa, like. Yeah, absolutely. It is totally that. I mean, I, and I, you know, it's obviously it can't, but. I'd love to be able to meet every one of those people who buys the game. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've had the same experience. You go to a conference, someone tries your game, they have some kind words, they have fun, they've got a smile on their face. Yeah. I mean, is there anything better than that? I mean, it's awesome. Every time that happens, every time you get to talk to someone about something you've, you've created, yeah, you, you can't help but love it. I had that happen to me the other day. I was um, talking back and forth with one of the reviewers of, of Cities of Venus, and I said, uh, and and he said, oh, by the way, my dad's playing Nutty Squirrels. He's bringing over Nutty Squirrels tonight. He was one of your backers. He absolutely loves the game. And it's just like, oh, 
it hits you, right? It's like, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's awesome. Like you just, so yeah. for anybody listening, if you ever think that the the creators don't love to hear that you enjoy their game or that you've had, um, you know, some enjoyment of something they've created, just keep this in the back of your head is they absolutely, it, this is what makes, this is the addiction of the hobby. Right? Yeah. This is the addiction of the hobby is creating stuff, putting it out there and seeing other people uh, get enjoyment out of something you've created. It, there's, there's no feeling like it. There really isn't. Yeah. Yeah. There really, yeah. And, and I think it's important to note that, you know, as a creator, you never take that feeling for granted. It doesn't matter whether yeah. we get a thousand or 10,000 people. It doesn't change the fact that every time that that number ticks up, you know, another person's going to play the game. You have that same kind of feeling. You're grateful for the support and it just makes you feel great. And you never, I mean, you never take it for granted. I, certainly I don't, you know? Um, yeah. Where are you guys, what's the next step? Is there another title coming in the, in the where in the weirdwood uh, kind of universe, universe or do you have like another separate game altogether from, from this university of creator kind of where are you guys going from here? Obviously as a, as a new game company. Well, so we got a couple of things coming coming down the road. So we we have started some work on some other games. I, I can't talk about anything. We're a little early on in that, but we, we've okay. got a, a, a number of things. Uh, we also have um, some additional content. It's not going to be on this Kickstarter for the existing game that we could mm. we just weren't able to get to. Like it's like you know just the practicalities of getting additional things designed that we thought we might add onto the campaign as add-ons never happened. So yeah. those are things that are further along, and and certainly it's in our plans to come back. Probably to Kickstarter with those, not too far down the road. I mean, assuming that people love the game and they they want more content, yeah. Just to tell those people we're working on that stuff, and and it's some, something that we've got on our roadmap to to kind of bring back to people. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Mike, I want to congratulate you and your team uh, on this. Man, what an amazing start! I can't wait to see how this finishes. I mean, you got 15 days to go. Uh, I'm rooting for you guys. Uh, man, uh, this is going to be, I think a great start, uh, for Grey Ridge games. And I want to wish you all the best this upcoming year. Thank you. I really appreciate James. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank no you. Worries. Cheers. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, board game binge. And you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.